Hello, this is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman of Columbia University, and this is Shrink Speak. Today, I want to begin the first in what will be a series of podcasts that I will do on the topic of the truth, or more accurately, the lack of truth in advertising. And the title of the series is The Whole Truth and Nothing But the Truth. What prompts me to want to talk about this is that there is, what I perceive, a tsunami of misinformation that is continuously being put out through the media and bombards us while permeating popular opinion and common knowledge. Now, this is particularly important when it comes to health care and, in my particular uh, uh, perspective, uh, mental health care and uh, psychological well-being. How is someone to know what is true and what's not, what sources you can rely on to get uh, accurate and sound information? I don't claim to be the world authority on everything scientific, but I do have, by virtue of my medical education and scientific training, an informed perspective on healthcare uh, and the latest research. In addition, as a physician and scientist, I believe I have a rigorous standard for evaluating evidence that would justify any claim of any type of product or service or practice that is intended to enhance healthcare. Now, just because someone believes something doesn't make it true. There has to be some evidence to support that belief or claim. So toward that end, I would like to use these podcasts to opine from time to time on important health topics and to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth about that. So to begin, the first in this series uh, is on the topic of how do we maintain longevity, uh, good quality of life, and brain health. Now, what brought this to mind was uh, I recently flew to Europe to attend a festschrift for a, a close friend and colleague at a major university. And he was retiring at the tender age of 65. Now, this individual was uh, in the prime of his career. He was in perfect health. Uh, he was active and showed no signs of slowing down or needing to uh, really do anything other than he had been doing for the last you know, two to three decades. But nevertheless, he was retiring. Why? Because there was mandatory retirement in that country, as in many countries, uh, at 65. Now, clearly that milestone has been outmoded because of the fact that people are living longer, uh, quality of life and health care is better, and uh, as a result, people can not just live but work and be active uh, for much longer periods of time than historically was the case. But our society and policies in all countries haven't yet adopted to it. And this is a particularly interesting area of medical research and science, which is uh, longevity and how to sustain functionality over the course of one's lifespan, even into what previously were considered to be um, older uh, ages and senescence, geriatric periods of life. And it turns out that although there clearly are temporal boundaries to when you're born, how long you can expect to live, 
the first rate limiting factor is avoiding disease. So if you grow up and you uh, maintain a reasonably healthy lifestyle and you don't get diabetes, you don't have cardiovascular disease, you don't have heart attack, you don't develop cancer uh, or other life-threatening illnesses, which good healthcare can substantially avoid, the major factor which will limit your life and your, your ability to function during your life is something called allostatic load. Now, allostatic load is a term that was coined by uh, an eminent scientist at Rockefeller University named Bruce McEwen. And it represents the physiological consequences, uh, or in other words, wear and tear on the body, including the brain, that accumulates as an individual is exposed to repeated or chronic physical and psychological stress over the course of their lifetime. Now, allostatic load can be measured by virtue of the effects it has on different organ systems, the cardiovascular system, endocrine system, central nervous system, immune system, but also at the cellular and molecular levels. And what this represents is basically every day of your life, your body has to do work. And it works against what are the physical conditions you're exposed to and also the psychological conditions you're exposed to. And this work requires energy, it requires efficient functioning, and it requires the creation and elimination of waste products in each of the multi-billion cells of your body. Um, so the more efficient that process, the better you are going to be in terms of your longevity and your ability to function over the, uh, as long as you live. So what can you do to diminish allostatic load and its effects on your body? Well, there's a lot of products and things that are promoted and marketed uh, that claim to have the ability to cleanse you, to enhance your plasticity, your strength, your use, your youth, your vitality, uh, and, and extend your life. And for the most part, most of these are BS. They're inaccurate, they're false, either intentionally or unintentionally and misguidedly uh, in their claims. But this has become an area of intense scientific interest, and already there are some practices and some things that there is very substantial evidence that indicate that they can and do sustain longevity and vitality of your body and including your brain. The first of these is caloric restriction. And caloric restriction means simply taking in fewer calories. Now, this work has been proven over and over again in studies in animals. Uh, human studies are ongoing, but uh, you, as you can imagine, it takes years to you know, verify the claim. But in my opinion, there's no question that this is sound and accurate. Now, by caloric restriction, what we're saying is, is that if a person reduces what would be the normal daily caloric intake by a certain amount, and the standard amount that's uh, referred to from the research that's been done is about 30%. So if the normal daily intake that an adult person would have is, let's say, 2,000 calories, 
or 2,500 calories a day. If you reduce that by a third or more, then that will achieve this caloric restriction, which then accrues to enhancing your longevity. The second thing is exercise. Now, physical exercise has many, many benefits, health benefits, including longevity, including brain plasticity. So exercise means physical exercise, which is either aerobic or anaerobic, and is sustained for sufficient periods of time. Now, how much you need to do, you know, do you need to do daily, one hour, two hours? No, but uh, it's got to be some significant amount, and probably the more you do, the better, although it may not be a completely linear relationship. In addition, there's also mental exercise. So particularly as you get older, uh, maintaining mental activity of all forms, so social activity, intellectual activity, uh, professional uh, activity is good. If you're retired, if you're not you know, uh, active in a <clears throat> sense that you are when you're sort of in earlier stages of your life, people often take a bridge, they'll do crossword puzzles, they'll do Sudoku. Um, there's products that are marketed like luminosity, which are kind of cognitive exercises, but it's not clear whether those are any better than doing something on your own that's not in a kind of programmed computerized format. The point is, is that uh, staying intellectually, mentally active is very good. Your brain is, in essence, a muscle, so you exercise to, you know, enhance your or, or to sustain your, your muscle strength, your endurance. The brain needs this done also with its <clears throat> intellectual faculties. Now, another way that you can do this is not just engage in certain types of activities that are mentally stimulating, but also to change your routines. So, for example, if you get up every day and you go to the bathroom and you brush your teeth or you have a certain hygienic routine, you could switch that up. Or if you carry your wallet in one pocket on one side or the other side, you can switch that up. Just the point is, is that the more you change things, and particularly in, uh, as you go through middle and uh, uh, older ages, this also has this stimulating effect which can be salutary. The third thing of the definite positively helps sustain longevity and uh, brain plasticity is sleep. Now, you can never get too much sleep. Most people suffer from a lack of sleep, but uh, it's important to sleep ideally. We'd, we'd like to get that by going to bed at a certain hour and sleeping a good eight or more hours, waking up, but a lot of people have some various forms of insomnia, or they can't fall asleep, or they fall asleep and wake up. The point is, is that <clears throat> over the course of the day, uh, as much sleep as you can get is good. Now, that's not always compatible with one's work schedule, or one's life personal schedule, with children and so forth, but sleep is good. And in contrast to what you may have been told, especially when you were a teenager and your parents were yelling at you to get up, you can't sleep too much, and so you can't oversleep and uh, the older you get, the more important it is to, for you to get as much sleep as you can. And then the final thing that I'll mention is a little more amorphous in terms of uh, what the activity is that's beneficial, but it's really stress management. So stress is for the brain what inflammation is to the body. It's not good. It causes increased 
burden on the cells of the body and waste products that accrue specifically in terms of oxidative stress and different biochemical constituents that need to be cleaned up in the cells in order for the body to function uh, effectively. Now, how you avoid stress or how you manage stress, there's a variety of techniques, but the best thing is, is not to have bad things happen. Of course, you can't control that, but learning how to roll with the punches, let things slide, not get so upset. Meditation is good. Any form of stress management, relaxation activities are good to sort of lower the emotional temperature that's induced in you over the course of your daily activities. Now, in addition to these practices, which I'm telling you there is very solid evidence to indicate that they genuinely are effective, there's an evolving life sciences research initiative which is producing pharmaceutical approaches to longevity. Some of these you probably heard of. One is resveratrol, which is a substance that found in certain foodstuffs, particularly in red wine. Problem is the concentrations of resveratrol that are needed are much higher than you get in normal kinds of foods or, or beverages. There's something called NAD, which is a, a nicotinamide, which is an enzyme that acts as a kind of scavenger cleaning agent in cells to help with the excavation of waste products. This is not marketed as a pharmaceutical, but is available as a nutraceutical. The efficacy of it is not demonstrated, but there's a strong sort of theory of why it would be effective. There's also a substance called flavanol, which is found in chocolate, but not in sufficient concentrations to really be effective, but in higher concentrations, which are available in a nutraceutical that you can purchase from a company called Cocovia, this has been demonstrated in studies to increase brain plasticity, and particularly in terms of learning and memory. Now, these are preliminary studies on products that could enhance brain vitality and, uh, by extension, longevity. They're not the final product, but they are a harbinger of what is to come, I think, and they've worked out through this research a process about how these things affect the body and even through genetic mechanisms to achieve their you know, uh, life-sustaining uh, effects. So this is a real body of research that will produce therapeutic agents that will be verified through tests and will be used in the future. The question is, is will they come soon enough for us? Now, one other biologic mechanism to mention, in addition to the allostatic load that I was referring to, the other function that is really critical to the aging process is called autophagy. And autophagy is from the Greek terms and means self-devouring and is a natural self-regulated maintenance mechanism that cells of the body have that disassembles unnecessary, dysfunctional, or waste components. You can think of it as a housekeeping mechanism. It's carried out by certain structures in cells called phagophores or through something called chaperone proteins. But things that enhance autophagy are good because it means that your body is engaged in a 
efficient, you know, self-cleaning and restorative process. So the things that I mentioned before, caloric restriction, exercise, sleep, and some of the nutraceuticals that we think are effective, like resveratrol or uh, nicotinamide, adenine, dinucleotide, uh, NAD, stimulate autophagy. Now, I can't go through all of them, but I will tell you that all of the other things that you may have heard about, seen advertised, or go into a health food store and see that our nutritional uh, supplements, naturopathic agents, stimulators, stem cells are all bogus. Snake oil. It's a waste of money. Probably not harmful, but not helpful. And you see this advertised like Prevagen on television. Completely worthless. Brain stimulators. Completely worthless. So this is something in which you need to remember the adage caveat emptor. And there's, I don't know where the FTC or the FCC is on this in terms of truth in advertising, but they say things which are completely false and people spend a lot of good money on them. Um, The last thing I'll say is that there's also some medicinal approaches that have been used by various doctors and uh, they're sort of pushing the envelope and maybe in some cases sort of crossing the line using testosterone, using human growth hormone. The evidence on this is not consistent or clear. Uh, There are potential side effects, so I certainly wouldn't endorse them, uh, but I can't tell you definitively what the consequences or any potential benefits are. So the take-home messages are do what we know works, and there is more that's coming. The question is whether it's going to arrive in time, and you can help by calling for more funding of biomedical research to ensure that happens as soon as possible. So thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman of Columbia University speaking to you for Shrink Speak. Thank you.